Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. And uh, I don't know if you're looking out, it's sure great to see some sunlight out there before. I remember we were pitch dark, so we're moving in a great direction. So good to see each of you today. So let's take a minute and whatever you need to do to get your body ready to roll, you can stretch, you can lift your hands and worship, whatever you need to do, uh, do it physically. Uh, <clears throat> but more important than the physical, uh, let's get our hearts ready, spiritually speaking. And the best way I know to do that is let's pray. Okay, let's, let's pray to be open to God speaking to us through his word. Father, we thank you for the Bible uh, that is before us. We thank you, Lord, your words give life to us. And I, I just pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would breathe upon the words in Deuteronomy 8. Uh, Lord, that the words would not just stay on a page of paper, but Lord, that you take those words off the paper and imprint them on our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for each one of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would uh, just highlight to each of us those specific parts of Deuteronomy 8 that, that you are really trying to drive home to us this morning. So, Lord, we come with an expectant spirit, and we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this time together. And we ask you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, away we go. Deuteronomy 8. <laughs> All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. This is the Lord speaking. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. A lion where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall lack not a thing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you dig copper. When you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. 
Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Lest, when you have eaten or are satisfied, you have built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who's giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is a chapter in the Bible that I have enjoyed for many years. I just personally find it very instructive. Uh, many good points. Uh, the point I, I really get out of this more than anything is that the Lord tests us and that the Lord disciplines us as his children. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I hated tests. Uh, anybody up there on the screen here? I don't know. Did anybody get excited? Yeah. Okay, Mike, you're at some of the, okay. If, if I see your face, if you like tests, there's probably something wrong in your head. I did not like tests. But even though I didn't like them, I think we need to realize that a good teacher has to give tests. And I think we need to realize when the teacher gives a test, uh, it's not because they just wanted you to be miserable, even though that's the way it may make you feel. Uh, the purpose of the test was not to make you miserable. It was to be able to test and see, have you mastered the material that the teacher was teaching verbally and the textbook that you're supposed to be reading for your homework? So I think we need to realize that the Lord is the master teacher. And the textbook he uses is the book right here that we're looking at the Bible. So I believe the Lord, like a good teacher, wants to know if his students, you and I, have mastered what's in this book. So I think we need to realize this, that God knows whether you and I are going to pass or fail a test even before the test occurs. Okay, God knows everything from beginning to end. He knows whether we'll pass or fail the test. The purpose of the test is not so much for his benefit as it is for us. 
let me say that again. The purpose of the test you and I go through is for our benefit to show us those things in our life that need to be changed, things we need to let God take out of our lives because they're blocking the move of the Spirit, or things that God wants to add. So the purpose of the test is really to instruct us, bottom line. So what's God after? If you look at Deuteronomy 8.1, God's speaking through Moses, uh, and he says this, all the commandments, all, A-L-L, not some, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. So Moses is saying, <clears throat> I've given you a whole bundle of commandments that God's given me, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're, therefore you're good. So all the commandments, and there's a, a bundle of them in here. Uh, he says, I, I want you to be careful. And it's a, a, an important word, careful. Make sure you keep them. Be careful to do. And what's the result if we're obedient? He says this, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. So I hear the Lord saying here, <clears throat> if you indeed will obey what I've asked you to do, I will put a blessing upon your life. You'll enter into the promised land. And I think what God's saying, not just to the Israelites back there, he's saying that to you and I. He says, if my people will obey and do what I've asked them to do, they are going to have you and I can have an abundant life as we walk in accord with God's word. Uh, he, he repeats that. Uh, look at verse six. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And the word fear him, I don't mean that means like we're fearful God's going to send a lightning bolt and boom, you know, we're going to be struck down. I think fear means have a healthy respect. He's the creator. We're the creation. We owe him our obedience and our, our allegiance. Same repeat of this idea of keeping the commandments, verse 11. <clears throat> Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you this day. And flip to verse 19. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God, if you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish. Why? And the word perish, I believe he's saying, as we disobey, life is going to go downhill, and we're not going to be happy people. And in fact, the Bible would go as far as saying as we continue that attitude of disobedience, that the end result of that will be hell, which is not a happy place to spend eternity. So I think the Lord is saying very clearly here, make sure that you do what I'm asking you to do. And why did the people end up in a mess? It says here at the end of 20, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And I just think when we're raising kids, I mean, what a battle that is. You want to tell your kid, you got to listen. 
you got to do what I want you to do. And, and the parents were not doing that again to be a pain to the kid. You want your child to listen and obey because that's the way they're going to mature and become a good member of society. And the same with the Lord. God wants us to listen and obey so that we can mature in him and that we can reflect Jesus. Okay, that's what he's asking. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now the test comes in. A2. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. So again, what's the purpose of the test? It says here that God would know what's in your heart, but really he already knows that. What it's basically saying is that you would be enabled to know what's in your own heart. And I'll tell you, we don't know what's in here till the pressure comes in us. We may think, man, I'm a loving person. I have great faith. And then the trial comes bombarding at us and we find out what we thought we were, we really are not. So the test reveals those things in our life that need to be dealt with. And I hear the Lord saying, basically, I'm giving you a good reason to obey me. I have been faithful to you. If you look at verse uh, chapter 8, verse 3, what did God do to prove his faithfulness? Number one, uh, he gave them manna, okay, something to eat. Uh, secondly, uh, look at verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. That's not bad. 40 years, clothes did not wear out, nor did shoes wear out. That's, that's good, good personal property. God said, I don't know how I pulled that one off, but he said, your clothes and your shoes are good to go for 40 years. Okay, I'm taking care of your needs. Look at verse 15, what he did to take care of the needs. 15, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And here's what he did for them. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. He says, God did that. Okay, he gave you manna, something to eat. He gave you something to drink. He took care of your clothes. He took care of your shoes. Uh, <clears throat> he did a little bit more. Again, in 15, uh, he, he was saying uh, that he also led them uh, in the wilderness. Uh, if you remember the fiery fire, the cloud by day, the night, he was there leading and guiding them. So in a sense, in the wilderness, God was meeting their basic needs. And he's saying, I want you to respond by, by trusting me and by obeying me in this situation. Now, all we have to do is read the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, and you're going to find that the Israelites dropped the ball over and over and over again. They grumbled, they complained, they disobeyed, they had unbelief many, many times. So God says, you know, you have a basic problem. Uh, and the basic problem is you're proud. Israelites, that's your issue. You're proud. Uh, the Israelites thought, okay, we know what's best. And we, we can handle life on our own wisdom and on our own power. In a sense, uh, Lord, kind of, we can do our own deal. We really don't need you. That was a an attitude that was inside of them. 
They may not have been aware of it, but it was there. God was aware of it. And God says, you know, I want you Israelites to realize what I see on the inside of you. So God allows tests in their lives and in ours to reveal pride, to, to reveal an independent spirit, uh, to reveal arrogance and rebellion. Um, in a sense, God is the teacher, and he says, I'm going to discipline you, my students, and you're going to have to learn some important things about yourself, and you're going to learn them by the tests and the trials that I'm going to allow to come into your lives. So God's dealing with pride in Israel back then, but in us today. And if you look at verse uh, <clears throat> number two, again, reading again, and you shall remember all the way that the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Here's what he was after, that he might humble you, that he might humble you, testing to know what was in your heart, whether you keep his commandments or not. Here's the idea of humble, verse three again, and he humbled you. He let you be hungry. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he, and here's what God's after. Here's the, the lesson, what he's trying to drive home. That man, that woman, does not live by bread alone, but man, woman, lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So basically, uh, God says, I want to humble you. And humble is the opposite of proud, okay? When I think of humble, a humble person is somebody that submits to God. It's someone who knows their inabilities and their weaknesses. Uh, it would be someone uh, that also is not trying to pump themselves up, but realizes that they're weak and that they need the Lord and that they need to trust him. So what's God after in the Israelites? What is he after us? I believe he's trying to take an arrogant attitude and to soften us, to make us pliable, and to make us available vessels through which he can work. Again, look at verse 3. And he humbled you. He let you be hungry. He fed you with manner, and he goes on, and he says, here's what, here's what I'm trying to teach you to do, Israelites. You need to realize not only do you need food to sustain your body in a daily basis, and, and bread is, in a sense, a stable food. He says, but there's a more important food than what goes in your mouth. He says, there's a food of my word. And he says, here, what am I trying to teach you? What was he trying to teach them? What's he trying to teach us? He wants us to live in a dependent attitude on him. And he says this, we don't live by bread alone, but man, woman lives. How are we to live? He says this, by everything, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So basically, um, I hear the Lord saying, what I'm asking you is to live in a dependent attitude, Israelite. I want you to have an open ear, Israel, and I believe he's addressing us as well. I want you to be able to hear moment by moment by moment by moment 
the word I'm saying to you. And when you hear the word, I want you to do it. And he says, that's a lifestyle I want you to develop, to have an open heart to me all day long, to have open ears. Lord, just I'm here. I'm listening. Lord, just whatever you want me to do, I'm hearing. And Lord, when I hear it, Lord, I'll seek to put it into action in my life without delay. Even Jesus quoted that, that verse, when Jesus is in the wilderness, he quotes it. The devil comes and says, hey, you're hungry, Jesus, take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus says, hey, Satan, hang on a minute. I'm not an independent agent. I'm not going to do whatever I please, even if I'm hungry. He said, no, 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 Satan, here's the way I live. Satan, when I hear God, then I'll do it. And if I don't hear God, I won't do it. So Jesus is leaning into the Father moment by moment. Father, what do you want me to do? I'm listening, Father. And when I hear Father, I'll do it. But I'm not doing anything independently in my own ability and strength. So look at verse 5, getting back to the test and the discipline. Bless you to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Folks, if we did not have discipline when we were a kid, we'd be a little monster now. It's important to discipline your children because if you don't discipline them, you have little egotists. And I think we've all seen people uh, that never were disciplined as a kid and as an adult. They're just a spoiled brat. Everything centers about me, 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 me. So as a human parent, I need to discipline. And God says, because I'm the ultimate parent, I must discipline my children so that they grow up into maturity and ultimately that they reflect the image of my son. So he says, I'm going to discipline you. <laughs> and he gives them a warning. Look at uh, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, of springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall lack not a thing, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you dig copper. So he's saying, I am going to bless you knock your socks off. You're going to be blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm going to provide all that you need. Verse 10, when you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God uh, that he's given you because he gave you the good land. So basically God's saying, I'm going to bless you and I want you to acknowledge that and bless me. Here is the warning light, the little red light on the dashboard. Verse 11, beware. And I think he's saying that to Israel right here, but God's saying that to us as well. Beware, 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 lest you forget the Lord your God. How do we forget him? By not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. And then he goes a little further, because here's the problem. That's when you've eaten and are satisfied, and I built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiply. In other words, you are blessed big time. Here's the danger. When you're blessed, 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 we forget where the blessings come. 
and we just get caught up in the blessings. And he says here, verse 14, here's the problem. Then your heart becomes proud. God knows proud is going to mess our lives up. Well, I don't care whether you're an Israelite back there or whether we're today. Pride will short circuit your walk with the Lord. Verse 14, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Uh, proud is not good. It's basically saying, God, I don't need you. I can do life on my own steam. Thank you. If I'm in an emergency, I'll call out, oh, God, but if I don't have an emergency, I'm good to go. Lord, I can handle life. Just kind of kind of stay out of it, Lord. I'll take care of this. <clears throat> Verse 17. Here's the problem, he says. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made this wealth. So he says, again, here's the problem. You may say, it's mine. I pulled it off. I did it. And God said, no, 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 you did not do it. And if you look at 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he. It's he. You're not pulling this off. You didn't do it. It's he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So I think what God's trying to say is you got to realize I'm the one that gave you the ability to pull these things off. So I think there's an independent spirit in any of us as a little kid going forward. We learn to trust in us, trust in my smarts, trust in me, trust in my ability. And it's focused on what I can do. And yet Jesus said the exact opposite. John 15, he said this, apart from me, what? You can do nothing. Okay? We've got to get to the point in our lives where we realize I can't pull it off on my own. And I'll tell you, just keep living long enough. The older I get, I just see the lesson coming over and over. God saying, you got to see, buddy. You can't live the Christian life on your own ability, your own smarts, nothing. You can't do it. Uh, and we need to know that we're weak, but we don't have to stay in our weakness because Jesus basically said, when you know you're weak, then you can be strong in me. And you're tapping into me versus doing it on your own abilities. Uh, and I like Zechariah 4.6. It says that, not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I think you need to translate it. Uh, not by human might, not by human abilities, not by human wisdom, we're to live the Christian life. Not by human power, no, how? But by the Holy Spirit who gives us that. So I think in Deuteronomy 8, God is just saying, you need to learn. And the only way you're going to learn is through the school of hard knocks, and the only way you're going to learn is I have to allow tests and I have to allow discipline to show you you can't do life by yourself, but that you have to do it through me. So basically, 
as I'm beginning to tie up some loose ends, and there's some neat scriptures here at the end, uh, is number one, God allows tests and hard times back then and now. I believe he allows those uh, to reveal our weaknesses and to reveal our sins. God allows tests to show us what's inside that we didn't have a clue and to show us those attitudes that are wrong, those motivations that are wrong. And he does that, uh, again, because he loves us. Uh, he wants to show us through the tests. We think we have a great faith, but we find that not really. We think that we have a great patience, but not really when we have to wait. We think that we're such loving people and God allows some heavy duty people in our lives and we find out, hmm, I'm not as loving and forgiving as I thought I was. So again, God allows tests and trials to reveal the areas of our life that need to be changed and need to be adjusted. Number two, I think we need to realize uh, that God does not allow tests to destroy us, uh, but to make our lives full and satisfying. God realizes there's things in our lives, and if they're in our lives, we're not going to have an abundant life, okay? So in other words, if he sees in us this independent streak, this wrong attitude, this wrong motive, God says, because I love you, I've got to deal with that. And I'm not trying to be a pain in the neck. I'm doing that just the way a good parent would say, I'm doing it because I love you. You may not think that you're being loved as a kid, but God says, no, no, no. I'm allowing the trial and test not to destroy you, but to make you a more mature person. Uh, I like a great verse. I love verse 16. Look at this. In the wilderness, God fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you. Okay, cool. We've been talking about, but look at the end. This is so neat. That he might humble you, that he might test you. Here's the end result. To do good for you in the end. That's God's end game. God's good all the time, folks. And because God's good, if he allows a hard trial or pain in your life, because he's good, he can only allow that because he wants a greater good to come from that trial that he's permitted to come into your life. So basically, God says, my end game is I want to do good to you in the end. Folks, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the heartache, it is tough. It is very tough. But God says, hang in there. I'm disciplining you, and if you hang in there and get through, you're going to see, I want to do good to you in the end. Let me give you uh, a couple other scriptures here as we're wrapping up. Uh, I like Paul. He says the same thing in the New Testament. I love the way the Bible coordinates with itself. It just, it, it, the old and the new fit together like a hand in a glove. Listen to what uh, Paul says in Hebrews 12. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Sounds like exactly what we've been talking about. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live? Okay, here's the point. Verse 10. For they, human parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. 
but here, listen to what this says about God. But he, God, disciplines us, here it is, for our good. And what's God's definition of good? That we may share his holiness. 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, we get it. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, by discipline, and have grown in it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all supernatural things that God does. But what God said in Deuteronomy 8, he's saying in Hebrews 12, God disciplines because he loves. And I believe the poster child of that uh, is Job. If you look at the story of Job, I mean, what a, oh, wow. What can you even say? The man lost all his property, lost all his kids. He loses his health. I mean, it is tough. And the Bible starts out saying that Job is a righteous man. And Job was a mature believer. But as we look at the book of Job, we see that, that there were things in Job that still were not perfect yet. And there were parts of Job that were hidden to him. There were parts of him that were prideful uh, in him. And there's times where in the book, he almost assumes that he knows better than God. And he gets on his high horse and, hey, I'm sure I probably would do a lot worse than he. But God said, Job, I see you and I'm going to allow tests in your life because I'm going through those tests to burn out the immaturities in you so that you could be fully developed as my child. And at the end of the book of Job, Job gets it. At the end, right? God does good at the end. Job gets this perspective. This is in Job 42. Uh, Job says this to God, I know that thou canst do all things, that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. God interjects, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job comes back, therefore I've declared what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. God speaks, hear now and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. And here's Job's words. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I like what Job's saying is, you know, God, I knew a lot about you in the brain. I've heard of you by hearing of the, I heard what other people said, but he said, through all these trials, now I've got to know you. And folks, trials are painful and they hurt. But through those, I believe many times we get to know God like we'll never know him when the sun's shining. And in those trials, we're pushed into his face in ways we never would when the sun's shining all the time. <clears throat> so, uh, in the book of James, this is cool, talking about Job as we wrap it up here about my man Job, Job chapter 5 <clears throat> kind of summarizes what God did, uh, and it says this in Job 5.11, behold, we count those blessed who endure. You've heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen, here it is, the outcome of the dealings of the Lord. The outcome. Job's in the mess, in the struggle, in the trial. But he said, you've seen the outcome of the dealings of the Lord. 
that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. In other words, the summary is saying it was tough, but God had a good purpose in it. And God, through all this trial, did an amazing work in Job and through Job. So <clears throat> while I'm at James, let me just give you one other verse. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Listen to this one. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Here it is, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's the end game that God has. Perfect and complete. That doesn't mean I'm perfect and sinless. It means I will be fully mature. But how do I get fully mature? He says, by various trials. What are the trials trying to do? They're trying to make my faith stronger and firmer all along the way. So summing up the whole deal, uh, I don't know what trials that you're going through today. Uh, and I just want to send, get this last verse here. I thought I had a little marker here, but let me pull it out. Um, okay. I don't know what you're going through. And I can't imagine to think that with all of us, there's got to be some of us gone through some pretty heavy duty trials, tribulations, heartache, pain. We can't deny it. That's reality. What I am saying from the scriptures, both in Deuteronomy 8 and Hebrews 12, is that if God is allowing pain in your life, it's because he has a good purpose in it and we need to we need to say god okay show me in all this pain and heartache and try, lord what's the good you're trying to bring out of this because of god's good and he allows something in your life he can only allow it because he wants a greater good on the other side <clears throat> and what do we need to do in the trial we need to trust him and here's a an amazing verse isaiah 50 Verse 10 says this, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? Here it is, that walks in darkness and has no light. Have you ever been there? Who walks in darkness means you can't figure out why am I going through this hell? God, like, I, I, what are you doing here? It's night. I can't get my bearings. I can't feel you. I don't understand what you're doing. And what's it say here? The person that walks in darkness and has no light, what are they to do? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. In other words, the Lord says, when you're going through the ringer, trust in my name, trust in my character, trust that I still love you, trust that I'm good, trust that I'm wise and I know what I'm doing when I allow this stuff in your life, trust that I'll give you power to get through this and trust that you're going to be a better person on the other side of the trial than you were before it came into your life. So there's the bottom line. God loves us because he loves us. He allows tests because he allows tests because he's trying to discipline us and he's trying to build strong character in us so that we're so dependent that only Jesus can shine in us and through us. And wow, not easy, but it's good. So let's pray. 
Lord, I just thank you. I love Deuteronomy 8, Lord. Uh, it's not pleasant. Uh, no, but none of us like, Lord, none of us like tests. Uh, we don't like to be disciplined, but Lord, you're the ultimately good parent. And Lord, if we have to do that for our kids that have this independent streak and we got to, we got to, good attitude, you need to do this or stop that. How much more? So, Lord, I just want to pray for each one on the screen individually. Lord, you know what you're doing in each life. And, Lord, we know the end game is it's good. You want us to look like your son, Jesus. But we know that means some things have to go out of our lives. And some things maybe need to come into our lives. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with each one. I can't imagine on this screen that each of us is not wrestling with something in our life. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, that you would give us understanding, like, Lord, what are you trying to do in this hard time? What are you trying to say to me in this trial? Uh, and help us, Lord, to be good students. Help us to, to learn, Lord. Help us, uh, like the Israelites, not to become proud and arrogant and rebellious. But, Lord, help us to be humble. Uh, Lord, help us to trust you and help us, Lord, out of that trust to be willing to obey you. And I thank you, Lord, um, that as we do that, we can have a full, and as the Lord said here, and a satisfying life. And Father, we just ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day, and uh, may the Lord bring good out of what you're going through. Amen.